is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Loves me all night long. Oh, is that right, baby? Got a big fat woman and loves me all night long. That was Dee Dee Bridgewater with Whooping Blues. I hope it got you off your chair. Hello, good morning. This is me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM, and it's Jazz Shapers. And Jazz Shapers is where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And right alongside him in the hot seat, we bring someone who's shaping the world of business. And I'm very pleased to say in my hot seat today is the business shaper they call Alexandra de Plege. It's a French name originally, but I have said it with an English accent. Um, she's going to be fabulous because she's not only the co-founder of Hassle.com, which sold for a very nice amount in 2015. She's also the co-founder and CEO of BuildPath, and BuildPath is a business which is transforming the way that you and I will build and redevelop our homes. You're going to be hearing lots from her very shortly. In addition to hearing from Alexandra, we'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice, I hope, for your business. And then we got the music, and it's fantastic. One of my favourites, Aretha Franklin's in there, Oscar Peterson is too, at new music from Demi Arosena, and this from the one and only Gregory Porter. I'm in with the in crowd. I go where the in crowd goes. I'm in with the in crowd. I know where the in crowd knows. Any time of the year. Gregory Porter with The In Crowd. Uh, Alexandra de Pledge is my business shaper today here on Jazz Shapers. And as I said earlier, she's the co-founder and CEO of BuildPath. They help extract and unlock value through the clever use of space on your homes. We're going to come to that in a moment. She was also, and you may have heard of this company because the other one is quite new, Hassle.com. Um, she was the CEO and co-founder of that very successful business and continues to be successful. But she sold it uh, back in 2015. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining me. No, thank you for inviting me. Um, how did um, uh, the, the young woman from Bradford, which is where you are from, how did she end up uh, doing a master's in international relations at University of Chicago? Tell me a little bit about the, the, the early days before we get into the work thing. So like most things in my life, it's relatively unplanned and not really thought through. Um, I went to visit a friend at Nottingham University and just fell in love with the campus area. Um, so I had my heart set on going to Nottingham for university. Uh, the only problem was that the history course required straight A's and I wasn't predicted to get straight A's in my A-levels. Although I did in the end, which was kind of weird. Um, but if I did history and American studies, you only needed two B's and a C. And I was like, winner, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I applied for that, got in, and you could go and do a gap year or like a research year in the US. And so that's how I ended up in um, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which is kind of like a bit sort of redneck, deep, sort of like imit imitates the deep south. So that was an experience in and of itself. But subsequently what happened then is I fell in love with a guy and he was still there. And so obviously I wanted to go back. Um, and the easiest way to get into the US and still is, is to go and be a student there. So I got um, a free ride to the University of Wisconsin to do 
political science. Turns out I didn't really enjoy that. It was far too data-driven and domestic-focused. So I actually ended up applying to the University of Chicago to do... At this point, I thought, well, I better get on here. I've been at university six years. Um, so I did an accelerated MA at the University of Chicago in international relations for nine months, which was amazing experience. Um, and finally graduated, which my parents were really, really happy about because they, they, I was like a very long-running student. Now, um, you then didn't do your own thing straight away. No. And, and like many entrepreneurs, or, or at least I, th- I think the ones who kind of give themselves a better chance of doing something, you did something else. You worked for someone else. You were a, a manager and consultant at Accenture mm-hmm. for six years. At what point did you go, do you know what, this isn't for me? At what point did you say, I'm going to do my own thing and, and why? So I think, again, there was not a lot of thought in this in, in the sense that when I got back to the UK from the US, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I thought consulting was a good kind of variety based role that paid pretty well. And so I went into consulting and I, I had a blast for the first few years. But I think as I got older and, you know, I was sort of like 28, 29 and then I got married, um, being away from home all the time and traveling around wasn't conducive. It just felt like that wasn't the sort of thing I should be doing. But was, think- it, was the guy the same guy you fell in love with? In America? No, 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 oh, no, 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 different guy. No, different guy. Just checking. <laughs> yeah, Car- you have to have on. a bit of variety, don't you? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So anyway, so I was thinking. Um, I, th- I guess more importantly about the Accenture phase was that when I looked up at the role models and I quote unquote the female role models in Accenture, I saw two things. I either saw women having having family, seeing that family and their career stalling or having a family, never seeing them and their career advancing. And neither of those options were were okay for me. Like I wanted it all. Um, And at the same time, I met Jules, my co-founder, when we were living together in our very first project back in 2005 in Warrington. And it's a bit like when, you know, you've got that that guy and you sort of turn to each other and go, if we're not married by the time we're 35, should we just, you know, we'll just hitch our carts to each other. Um, it was similar to Jules. And that's what we sort of said. It's like, you know, if we ever start a business, let's do it together. And that was like eight years prior. And then you fast forward, she's really frustrated. I'm kind of like looking up going, I don't want what's ahead of me. And that was really how we decided to become business owners. And I'm going to call it business owners because when I was growing up you were a business owner not an entrepreneur and it's kind of a bit of a frou-frou fluffy term I guess and so um, you know we didn't know we were even going to be tech entrepreneurs that kind of came later when we realised our idea required technology. Stay with me to find out about my business owner Alexandra de Pleasure and what she did next and how in fact um, she has now gone on to receive accolades and titles I forgot to mention she's an MBE and all sorts of other things clever things that, and boards that she sits on anyway she'll be embarrassed in a moment if I carry on so I'm going to introduce the next track and it is Aretha Franklin with Think Aretha Franklin with the iconic Think. Alexandra de Pledge is here and she's my business shaper today. CEO, co-founder of Hassle.com, um, which they sold for a nice amount. Um, general all-round star in the tech world, though, as you were hearing earlier, she kind of isn't a tech person. She's just a business owner who happened to find her way with her friend Jules, and here they are and, uh, doing other things as well. Um, and now the co-founder of this business called Build Path, which I urge you to go and have a look at because uh, it's a very clever way of looking at the, the world of developing your own property and, and 
as someone who's done that a little bit, it was very hard when I did it, and I wish I'd have had this thing in front of me. And I'm not just saying that. Now, Alexandra, we're going to go back to that time. So you you, you talked to Jules eight eight years before. You then at some point must have gone. I've got an idea. I know what we're going to do. Or was it not like that? Because Hassle.com, just give me the headline and what it what it is, and then a little bit about how you came up with it. Uh, well, so it's it's Europe's largest um, marketplace for finding and booking domestic cleaners. Um, uh, but no, that was like the third or fourth idea. Or they were all kind of iterations of each other. Mm. It originally started with Jules wanting to find a piano tutor. So that became a school of music where we could find tutors for... And I was like, that's pants. Um, and then it, we kind of broadened it out to... Um, becoming like the Amazon of local services and that's what we really started with and that was Teddle Limited so we went through a name change halfway through the Anna Big Pivot so we ran Teddle for like a year doing 23 different categories so we did babysitting uh, in-home chefs at-home hairdressers dog walkers you name it and cleaners I'm not going to bore you with the story it's already out there if anyone's interested but a funny story about like how we realised we had no cleaners but everyone was looking for a cleaner and this was when we were like actually we need to focus down and so that's how we ended up becoming a cleaning marketplace and then sort of shortly after six months after we sort of just were cleaning we realised that Teddle was a very bad name because we had to fill it with meaning so that that's when we went through a whole rebrand with an amazing guy called Darren Cook, who is just phenomenal. And he helped us come up with Hassle.com and really kind of helped us to understand what we wanted to be when we grew up. And that's sort of the, the journey quickly of Hassle.com. The iterative nature of what you do and these people, people now give this big word called pivoting, but basically it means that didn't work. We better do something else to yeah. me. It, is that in your nature? Are you naturally someone who quite likes the fluidity of life? Are you quite happy just, I don't mean bumbling along, but being opportunistic and going, you know what, that looks better, let's go over there? Yeah, so I think that there's two types of people in life. There's the ones that need structure and process, and they're great in, in big businesses. And then there are people like me and Jules that um, feel hemmed in. And, and actually what we really like to do is solve problems um, and and you need variety I get incredibly bored very quickly and so actually startup is perfect for me because it means I get to do lots of things like at the moment you know I'm doing the accounting I'm doing all of our marketing and our hiring and our fundraising so it's like that's great because no day is ever the same and when my days become similar that's when I have to do something else you mentioned as you looked up at Accenture, there were two types of women. The woman that had to stop and deal with the family and be with the family and want to do that and therefore career suffered and the other type yeah. where they never saw their family. Being a business owner and an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, it's full on, Alexandra. I mean, truthfully, you talked about you wanted it all. Surely you get less of it because there's just so much going on. What you get when you're when you're a business owner or an entrepreneur is you get freedom to dictate how your time works, and so what what that's good for for me is the fact that yes I might have quite quite a busy life, but if I need to not go to work until ten a.m. because I want to spend some time with my daughter or drop her at nursery, then I get that choice. Um, and if you work for a big company that mandates you must be at your desk by nine o'clock, you don't get that choice. So look, I don't think there is a perfect solution here. Well, I know what the solution is. It's equal maternity and paternity pay, but that's a separate story. But for um, women who want to have a, something that really feeds the soul and is gratifying, I think that running your own business can give you that and allow you um the you know the ability to have children and it's no surprise that um, the vast majority of women become entrepreneurs once they've had children not before. Stay with me for more from my fantastic business shaper. That's Alexandra De Pledge. Uh, latest travel first in a couple of minutes and before that some words of wisdom I hope from our program partners at Michigan for your business. 
My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishcon Dorea. At Mishcon, we advise all sorts of clients. Um, one minute we will be advising a global corporation, the next it will be a senior executive, and the next it will be an entrepreneur who's just starting out in business for the very first time with the latest new idea. But one thing that's common to all of those businesses, big and small, is social media. We live in a digital age. And obviously that brings some very significant benefits and advantages from a business perspective, but it also brings with it significant risks, particularly when you introduce the unpredictable factor into the equation, which is of course human nature and sometimes human error. So employees of all levels these days have a presence on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, to name but a few. And um, whenever they post on social media, they're obviously representing themselves personally. But in certain situations, they're also representing the employer, whether they mean to or not. And in those circumstances, there is the potential for significant damage to be caused to the business, irrespective of the size of the business, if the employee happens to say something that causes reputational damage. And so really a good piece of advice for all businesses, irrespective of size, is to make sure that the employment contracts are properly drafted, that the social media policy is in place, and that all of those things have been clearly communicated to the employees, so that everybody knows in advance where the line's drawn and what the sanctions are if somebody happens to cross the line. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers. Every Saturday morning, I get to meet someone who's shaping the world of business, whether we call them business owners, entrepreneurs, founders. They're all the same. They do fantastic things because they feel like they need to exercise their own freedom. Alex to pledge. I'm now going to quote Alex because <laughs> uh, that's what <laughs> her we friends. We're all friends over here. <laughs> Alex to pledge is my business shaper, um, co-founder and CEO of Hassle.com. Uh, Ditto uh, with her new business called Billpath. Hassle.com, I want to go back to that for a minute. You sold out, I believe, unless my numbers are wrong, you can tell me if they are, 24 million quid for the business. Well, I Is can that... neither confirm nor I deny this. I love this. Ah, the face. You should see the face. It's, it tells a, a million, <laughs> million parts of this story. But it, whatever it was, it, was a, it sounds like a lot to me yeah. um, and probably everyone listening as well. When you have a bit of a, an event, and I have no idea what percentage you had of the business, and we're not going to go there, we don't need to ask, but obviously there was some money in your pocket. Does that change the way you, you looked at the world at that moment? Um, I think it was really strange um, because it kind of came out of left field for us. I'd never really thought about selling the business or what an exit might look like or where the end goal for Hassle.com was. What I'd really focused on was building the type of work environment that everyone claims that they have in their businesses, but is at BS, really. Um, and that was the real motivator for me. It was never about money. So when suddenly I get this sizable windfall... Um, and I'd had my head buried in the business for four years, I kind of popped out the other side and saw that the world has completely changed to sort of, I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but I hadn't been paying attention to what had been going on nationally or in other people's lives. And so I suddenly felt a great sort of sense of sadness about some of the stuff that I saw. Like I felt like the disparity between rich and poor was ever growing, that, you know, that homelessness was rising, that things were... And I was just like, how can this be right? And I started to get a lot of guilt, actually. Um, and I found it quite difficult to process, being totally honest about it. Mm. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve 
um, this windfall and I what had I actually done to kind of get to this level? And it was a really humbling experience um, for me. Uh, and, and I guess just out of left field because I just hadn't, like, I, I didn't have time to process. The sale was so quick and you saw head down in the transaction that, um, yeah, coming up the other side was a real shock. How have you processed it since? Because this was only a couple of years ago. And Eight, yes, what, what we, it was July 2015. Yeah, so almost two years ago. But what you've described, um, I imagine many people would relate to because if you're not looking at it and you're not driven by the money as such and then you get some, uh, but, but have you intentionally now gone and address that or have you just more come to terms with it? I mean, how have you... Uh, managed well, it. So I think a couple of things like my life, I think what you were driving at is, is like, ha, have I changed because of it? And I, I Or have you done things to change other, I mean, have you tried to attack homelessness or anything else like that? So what, what I did do is I, I signed away 2% of my exit to charity. So there's a, an amazing um, organisation called Founders, um, Founders Pledge. And what that, what that basically does is you, when and I've done it again, so if I exit Build Path, 2% will go to charities. And what I love about them is they um, really buy into um, altruistic um, giving. And what that means is they measure the effectiveness of that giving. So for every dollar you give to a charity, what pops out the other side? So I know that part of my money, about 10,000 I gave to um, a charity that deals with women that are sexual slaves. And I know that I've saved 13 women from sexual slavery. That And so it's all really actually about, instead of putting it, because we're really bad in this country, uh, like the NSPCC or, some, or a charity like that going, actually, do you know what a pound gets? And so that's what these guys do. And they really help you on that journey of discovering what what matters to you and so I realised that mental health and was really underfunded and um, women in sexual slavery or being trafficked was massively underfunded um, and so they helped me understand where best to put that money and so that's what I mean I did and I, I, I keep in touch with both those charities um, Give Directly is one of them so there was that but then also I guess um, I got quite into uh, local government so I joined the London LEP or LEAP as we now call it which is all about really trying to take um, at the minute European money which is going to be interesting to see what happens there So this is the local enterprise partnerships Exactly and and how do we get the economy humming in local areas so and then I've done a couple of other non-exec stuff so I'm trying as well as starting another business and trying to do it all over again I think you're doing quite a lot. That sounds like <laughs> that, that sounds like quite a lot to me, Alex, my new friend, not Alexandra. <laughs> Stay with me for more from Alexandra and Alex to pleasure. That's the same person. Um, my business shaper today. Time for some more music right now. This is Daime Arosena with Mambo Nama. <laughs> That was Daime Arosena with Mambo Na Ma. Alexandra and Alex, the pledge, the same person is talking to me today um, about the truth behind what happens when you, you, you get a bit of money or um, after you've sold your first business. The other thing, I mean, you touched on some of the things that you're doing, Alex, and, I, and I've got a note here that just uh, so I make sure I don't get this wrong. You are involved uh, as a board member on the Sharing Economy, I believe, the Sharing Economy UK, it's called. You're, uh, you were an entrepreneur in residence at Index Ventures. You've been tapped up a number of times to be involved where people say, hey, that Alex, she can help be on this board. Do you enjoy all that stuff or is it just a lot of hot air? 
No, I mean, I, so I only ever give my time to things that I think are worth giving my time to. Um, so the Sharing Economy UK, which I was a founding board member of and, and I'm no longer part of uh, part of the membership because I sold Hassle, um, I felt like that needed. Uh, there, was a, there was a trend in our, in our economy around gig work, as like people like to call it, and actually we needed to address some of the good stuff going on there and then some of the bad stuff going on there. And I think, you know, with um, I'm also the chair of, uh, of the Coalition for the Digital Economy, which is the only independent and policy group for entrepreneurs that help government understand what startups and scale-ups and a scale-up is a company that grows you know more than 20% a year and we've got a lot of those if you think of the likes of delivery or transfer wise um, and so I really help try to help the government understand you know how do we make keep that part of the economy humming so we just released a report two weeks ago that dealt with the skills gap with immigration with trade and investment um, just to really help put some meat on the bones because I I think um, it's really critical right now that we, you know, we are leaving the EU, whether you like it or not. And actually, um, the government and the civil service need help in understanding what that needs to look like to make sure that it's not a complete disaster. Because if you think about it, you know, the civil service cannot be an expert in every area. And so we need to help them. And so we wrote this report. And I think that was a very good use of my time. Now, time is precious for someone like you, and you've got to focus it. Do you still focus enough on this next business? Have you made enough room? Yes, I have. Um, so we, I mean, I'm full time on uh, Build Path with Jules and our uh, our architects Nick and uh, Nick and Rich, um, and we are yeah we're motoring ahead. Um, Nick, Rich, Jules, they all understand that a CEO role is an outward facing role anyway. So, you know, you deal with the investors and the stakeholders and um, you're the face of the company and, and part of that face can spend its time um, contributing to making it a better place for companies like BuildPath to uh, to thrive in. And that's essentially what I'm doing. So yeah, I've definitely carved out enough time. It doesn't kind of get in the way. And if it does, then, you know, BuildPath's my priority and we'll address that when we get to it. Final chat coming up with my guest there. It's Alex DePlege. Plus, we'll be playing a track from keyboard great Oscar Peterson. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Oscar Peterson with Ode to Billy Joe. Always nice to hear a bit of Oscar Peterson here on Jazz Shapers. Uh, just for a few more minutes, my business shaper is Alex DePlege. Um, she's the CEO, co-founder of Hassle.com. You may have heard of them, but she's also, importantly, the CEO and co-founder of BuildPath. And if I, as I say, go to the website, it's very super clear. If you're thinking about doing something with your house, you're not really sure where to start, which is a, a pretty clever insight to me. So you've only gone and done it again. I mean, this is really what I, I find interesting about someone like you, Alex. You, you did it once, and people say, oh, they did it once, and she's pretty good. That, that's nice. You've done it again. So it's obviously not just because um, you fancied it. There's a bit more to it. You obviously are built for this. Did, did you, When you were younger, did you think, I'm going to have the freedom? Or did you, I mean, it sounds to me like you didn't. 
at any one time really plan anything. And I quite like your honesty mm. up front. You, sort of, you kind of, you know, you're obviously highly intelligent, you're driven, but you seem to see things in front of you and know the path to take. I think uh, so. I think I'd probably describe myself as a big thinker, strategic. Like it's quite funny because Jules gets frustrated with me because I've got no. Um, she's the little thinker. Is that what you say? She's to the details person, and she gets really frustrated with me that like I don't like details. Um, and so I. But think, do you really not like details, or do you just know that the big idea for you is just going to take us somewhere else? I get bizarrely hung up on certain things. So like I actually could be a lawyer. I'm that in the detail when it comes to legal contracts, which Jules finds fascinating because I'm not really that bothered about spreadsheets. But um, so yeah. what is it about that kind of detail you like? Just to stay on that for a moment. Um, I don't, do you know what? I don't. I think it's because you have to work so hard to understand a lot of the legal terminology um, that it's kind of rewarding when you do, maybe. Um, and I'm more of a words person than a numbers person. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't plan things. You're right. I think one key major influence in my life was my parents, because what I do remember is my dad worked for a long, long time for com big companies and then he branched out on his own when I was probably about 13 or 14 and there was a noticeable difference in our family life and, our, and actually in our family wealth in the sense that we seemed to go start going on more holidays, dad seemed more happy and, and I think subconsciously that always stayed with me and, and I've kind of followed in his footsteps for that reason so um, yeah I think that has a lot to, to do with it. Do, do you think I mean you, again you talked to before about the, the, the other business, Hassle business and you said I wasn't really looking at the exit, didn't know what was going to happen. I'm assuming now with Billpath, you're just on the journey. You're seeing where it goes. You don't have an end in mind at this point. No, I mean, I think we learned a lot from Hassle.com and um, we learned what to do again and what not to do again. And we're trying to put some of that what not to do again in practice. And I think that, um, but the, the, the thing stays the same. Like, I'm not interested in an exit. I mean, I shouldn't say that because every investor wants you to get an exit. But actually, I think you destroy value in companies when you're focused on exit. In fact, we need a bit more patient capital in this country that people are happy to put their money somewhere for 10 years rather than wanting a return in three to five years. Because actually things, good things, they take time. They take time to build. Um, you know, even Facebook or Snapchat or any of those companies, they've all been going over five years and they need investors to stay with them. And so um, for me, this is really about finishing what I started with Hassle, building the workplace of the future, the place that people want to come to work. It doesn't feel like work. We work so much. Um, I want to continue doing the innovative things that we did at Hassle, like the paternity, maternity stuff, like removing all identifying things off CVs. That's the stuff that really gets me out of bed in the morning because um, I can't change the world. I probably can't even change the UK, but I can change the people who work for me. And I managed to do that at Hassle with the 70 people we had across Europe. Um, and I don't think Buildpath will require that many people because it's more SaaS product. But um, for those 20 or 30 that it ends up being, I just want to make them engaged and happy and fulfilled in their life because I think that's my small contribution to society. Well, I'll drink to that. Sounds yeah. very good to me. Listen, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I know you're busy. You're going to go off and chair another committee and build the business even further. <laughs> Just before I let you go and do that, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, so, I'm sorry to be so cliche, but the one, um, I like to call him Davey B. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Dave Brubeck's Take 5 would be my choice and I'm really hoping that some hip-hop genius mixes this because that would make my life very happy. Here it is just for you and yeah, let's hope that hip-hop genius is listening.
That was Dave Brubeck with Take 5, the song choice of my business shaper today, Alex DePlege. A business owner, someone who debunked this notion of an entrepreneur and, and what you call them, because actually that's what she felt she did. Someone who loved and went into it because of the freedom. Uh, someone who became focused, but admitted to me that she wasn't really a planner, but does that really matter? And someone who believes in the long term, taking a long view, even though she managed to sell her first business very quickly, but that idea of having a patient view of capital. And someone finally who really is trying to reinvent the working experience and seeing it as a as an opportunity to make things fairer and to make things much more fun all brilliant stuff do join me again same time same place next saturday at 9am for another edition of jazz shapers meanwhile stay with us coming up next it's nigel williams jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mish it's business but it's personal